historical tradition that we practice here at our fellowship that we stand and honor the reading of scripture even if I don't read a scripture at that particular moment we're going to read several scriptures today some will glean very quickly some we're going to look at a little bit more uh, closely as you know here in front of you we are going to break communion emblems today and for the next three or counting today three consecutive weeks let me say that we're not going to bring you forward for the communion the ushers will begin Right towards the end of my message, I'll bring them up. I'll still do a little bit of teaching while they're passing the communion emblems. They're going to come get the emblems. They know what to do. They're going to go to the back and make their way back to the front. So just to be patient with them, they're going to bring it right down in front of you. Now, while that's going on, I'm still going to be teaching because you're only going to be affected directly when the usher's right in front of you. Um, a week or so ago, I shared with you or last Sunday some things that God did in my heart, not in a proudful, arrogant way, but just a reminder of the privilege to be a part of the people of the Assemblies of God and a doctrinal belief. And I made a statement. I went back and listened to the message, and I made a statement about the different things that brings us together under one building to worship. And there's a lot of reasons, and I highlighted multiple reasons to you, but I shared with you that if doctrine is not at the core, then you need to really reevaluate the reason why you come together. Doctrine should be at the core, a belief system. Come on, a belief system. How can two walk together lest they be agreed? And if ever there was a time, now is that time when the church must be unified in its core beliefs. Amen. Right? With, the, with some of the foolishness that is going on in our nation today. And in the Assemblies of God, we have what's known as the 16 fundamental truths. From those 16 fundamental truths, what's known to us is as... Yes as the cardinal truths. These are four particular fundamental truths that really uh, every believer should look very closely at because we really believe that this is a, a, a dynamic part of the New Covenant, the New Testament that we are a part of. And today we're going to be looking at cardinal truth number 12, and it is actually deliverance from sickness, or it is divine healing. And we put it up last week, I don't know, because we've got the crisis going on with the heating and the air conditioning units, but <laughs> I guess it is, and you're running the AC. But nonetheless, um, it just simply says, and I'll just, I'll just extract the primary statement from this one particular fundamental truth, is that deliverance, notice the words, carefully chosen, deliverance from sickness is provided for in the atonement. And it's the privilege of all believers. It's a powerful principle that we want to challenge our faith to believe. Now, we don't believe that simply because it is in the constitutions and bylaws of the assemblies of God. That's not why we believe it. We believe it because we believe it is a doctrine that is revealed from the depths of the word of God. Amen. Correct? Amen? And so today I'm going to just... I'm going to highlight. Now, again, I would have to spend many weeks developing this thought, but today I'm going to just share with you a couple of angles associated with this principle. Let's pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us supernaturally in this room. Father, we love you, and we are deeply privileged to be in this room, to share a like precious faith. 
Father, a communion, if we will, of belief. And I am so grateful, Father, to be the pastor of this wonderful congregation. I don't know, if Father, if there is a pastor anywhere in America that could be more thankful than I am, Father, to be in this house with this people and have this opportunity. God, I am grateful for it. And I'm going to pray that the heart will be prepared to receive the word of God. I know the word does not return void. So let our hearts be good ground today to receive it in faith. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Now, those that are in the booth, uh, which looks like Jared is my man today, he's going to work with me. Two or three of the verses of Scripture are going to leave on there for a while, uh, but at the end, we're going to kind of have a brief barrage of Scripture to just kind of quickly summarize some of the things that we're talking about. But in this context, let me just remind you of these carefully chosen words by the founding fathers of the Assemblies of God who in 1916, not in 1914, but in 1916, actually chose the fundamental truths. It says, deliverance from sickness is provided for in the atonement. Word was chosen, the atonement. And it is the privilege of all believers. In essence, that you and I, as genuine believers in Christ, we have a privilege. In essence, let's kind of connect this for a moment to what Jojo shared when he read about the Syrophoenician woman. When she needed healing in her family, um, Jesus' response, because remember, Jesus ministered under the old covenant that had been made with Israel. Uh, he said these words, it is not meat for me to take the children's bread. In essence, it belonged to the children of Israel for that season and to give it to the dogs, in essence, a Gentile in that particular moment of time because it was a part of the covenant. And we'll highlight a couple of those, uh, those passages in a moment. And so what, what we're saying in this fundamental truth is based upon the great grace that's been offered to all mankind in the New Testament, now that healing crumb can fall to all of us. It's the great privilege of all believers. Now, the word atonement that was chosen, that was chosen is primarily an Old Testament term. Actually, it's only mentioned one time in the book of Romans, and I'm going to highlight this in just a moment. The word atonement is familiar throughout the Old Testament because at the and the original language of the Hebrew, it meant to cover. So Israel, in their sacrificial system, as we know now, looking back, that the blood of bulls and the blood of goats could not necessarily take away sin, but it would atone for sin. It would cover sin, waiting for another sacrifice to be made. Now, the one usage of the word atonement in the New Testament is in Romans 5 and 11. I would like to just post that if we can. It says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now, what's interesting about this particular passage is that the word in the original language, uh, the Greek language here, doesn't necessarily mean to cover as it did in the Hebrew because this word is actually a monetary term. It's actually to probably translated in other places primarily as to reconcile or reconciliation. And so in, it's kind of in that context of the money changers and exchanging. It actually means an exchange of values. Uh, many of you have uh, reconciled your statement, you know, your bank statement and your bank account. It means, and the very uh, core of the word is an adjustment of a difference. So think about that for a moment of time. God saw that we were insufficient. We 
we, according to his standards, we were insufficient. But blood was shed on the cross that tilted the scales in our favor. And so, therefore, God, based upon the atoning work of Christ on the cross, reconciled the account, and he brought us into his divine favor. Isn't that exciting? He brought us into his divine favor. So, in this context... It is redemption, it's forgiveness of our sin debt, and it is restored to God's favor. And we believe that that favor includes the promise of divine healing. Now, it is the belief of many, perhaps not all in this room, and my job is to not belittle you as your doctrine differs from the doctrine of the assemblies of God. My job is to encourage you to study. But it is our belief that the two greatest provisions of salvation or redemption are, number one, forgiveness of sin, the sin debt both of Adam and our own. We, we are forgiven and very thankful for that forgiveness. And number two, the promise of healing, a dual provision. Actually, we know there are many more provisions contained in the grace that God gives us, but two primarily that just seem to stand out above all others. And I believe that the psalmist David he had insight into this principle. I believe in a passage of Scripture that he penned, Psalm 103. We're going to post verses 1 through 3 even in a moment, but, we're going to, but there's a lot additional, uh, additional provisions made in verses 4 and 5. But the first in the third verse, but let's start right here. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, I believe as David is writing, he's writing doing two things. He's looking back to the covenant that God made with ancient Israel because in a moment I'm going to show you that that covenant did contain healing in it. But he's also prophetically looking ahead to the fulfillment when Jesus' blood would be spent on the cross to bring us the New Testament. And so he's worshiping. David is a worshiper. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Verse 2 Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And that word benefit in the Greek means exactly what it is, a benefit. It is a beneficiary. It is a grace. It is something God, because you are in fellowship with him, out of his kindness, he just offers. And the psalmist is saying, don't forget it. God is gracious to give you these things. You know, as American citizens, we have certain benefits that are available to us as American citizens, and we should take advantage of these, uh, of these benefits. And so here in the third verse here, in the biblical sense, it says, God does what? He forgives all thine iniquities. I'm thankful that there's not one sin that Pastor Brown's ever committed that God left uncovered or not reconciled when he reconciled the statement. All mine iniquities. How many of you believe that? In your own life. I know not everybody raised their hand because you're wondering about my life. You're going, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Pastor Brown. But then he said, he healeth all thy diseases. He simply said, the dual provision of the covenant includes forgiveness of your sin and also healing of all thy diseases. And we as believers ought not forget it. We must remind ourselves. That's why we should sing about it. You are the Lord who heals us. Come on, somebody. And we're reminding ourselves of this provision. And you're going to see a little bit later in the message today that this dual provision is not just mentioned in this one passage, but in multiple passages. I could even take you to when Jesus was healing. This was the paralytic that they brought through the roof at Simon Peter's house. And they busted up the roof and they dropped him down in front of Jesus at Capernaum. And Jesus, when they saw him laying there... He said, which is easier? 
Which is easier, to say, man, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk? And so he said, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Son, I say unto thee, rise up, take up thy bed, and walk. It reveals to us this dual provision. Just as easily as the Son of Man slash Son of God can eradicate and did eradicate our sin debt, that same power contained in His Word can heal all of our diseases. Amen? What a powerful provision. So we're considering the covenant for a moment of time. The first covenant that was created that David was looking back to. The mo- it's actually the Sinai covenant extended from the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to allude to this in Hebrews 8. And just kind of read it and let it unfold because we call that the old covenant or the old testament. And But now we live under the, under the authority and the privileges of the new testament. Which Let's see what the writer of Hebrews says in comparison, stark comparisons between the old and the new. Let's read chapter 8, verse 6. He says, But now hath he, being Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry, comparing Jesus' present ministry as a high priest in the house of God that's eternal in the heavens versus the priesthood of Aaron. Christ has obtained a more excellent ministry because he is also the mediator of what kind of covenant? A better covenant, which is established upon better promises. I love that. Because when I read the old covenant, I read some great promises in there. I see some exciting things, and I'll talk about that briefly. But let's read the seventh verse. Let's go on down. We're going to just read this. But now, if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now, the reason why, the reason why that the first one, fault, was found was not necessarily the, the covenant, but that the people of the covenant erred. And he's going to highlight that in a moment. The unique thing about that covenant was it was a conditional covenant. It was conditional upon the people's obedience to fulfill the law 613 commands recorded in the mosaic law that israel had to walk in he said if that first covenant had been faultless there would have been no place for a second let's continue eighth verse says but finding fault with them not with the covenant but with them they couldn't keep it he said behold the days come saith the lord when i will make a new covenant thank god for the new covenant today with the house of israel and with the house of judah ninth verse we're going to read it all the way through the 13th verse to just capture the essence not according to the covenant now here the writer is quoting from the book of zechariah not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in the day when i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and so God said I regarded them not in the 10th verse let's continue on he said for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days saith the Lord I will put my laws into their mind I will write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people isn't that exciting because we know that covenant has been extended to all of us as well let's continue 11th verse and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for all shall know me I'm looking for that day from the least to the greatest the 12th verse And for I will be merciful. How many of you know God is merciful? Unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. Sometimes we keep reminding God of things that he remembers no more. 
13th verse, he said, And that saith, he saith, A new covenant, and he that made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. And what our belief is in that particular reference here, the author of Hebrews, knowing that Jesus' blood was the final sacrifice actually accepted in heaven. But for 40 years, God in his grace allowed the Hebrews to continue to offer their sacrifice because it took a while for them to learn what had taken place place at the cross but it didn't have merit in heaven any longer it had been the bible says in hebrews the 10th chapter this man offered one sacrifice for sin forever and so this writer is knowing that that day is going to come when this old thing and this old system is going to wax old and decay away but here we are looking at this better covenant that's based upon better promises now oddly enough that first covenant did include healing and let's read two verses of scripture just to remind us of what Exodus said about the promises that God made. God said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, he said, and do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have put upon the Egyptians for I am, this is the passage in the Hebrew where we get Yahweh Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. How many of you know God is a healer? God was a healer then. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The only difference is that this covenant was conditional upon the people's ability to keep the law. It's echoed again a little bit later in the 23rd chapter of the same book. And I just want you to read it with me today because you and I can still extract the principle out of it. We're not under the law to fulfill the obligation of the law because our belief that that obligation has been fulfilled in Christ. However, you and I today, we can still look at the privilege or the, or the promise of this, uh, of this statement. I will take away. God said, I'll bless your bread, your water, and I will take sickness. How many of you want to just say, God, I want to walk in that? I don't want to just be healed one time. I want to walk in divine healing. I want to walk in the favor of God. I want to walk in the blessing of God. You take sickness away from the midst of us. And so if you look closer, and time would not allow us, the, the only issue with that old covenant was that, again, it was conditioned upon Israel's ability to keep it. And when you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see Moses reaffirms the, 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 the conditional covenant right before they go into the promised land. And he said, keep the law walk in his ways and god will bless you but if you break the law and and you and you turn from god then curses are going to come upon you and those curses included sickness and and the bible said in that passage we read in the ninth verse they continued not in my covenant and so you say well pastor then what makes the new covenant better than the old covenant it's right here is that this better covenant is that one man jesus christ acted as our representative before god Come on, he acted as the representative, and he kept the law. See, I broke the law from the time I became aware that I could sin. I had already sinned. Before I ever had the knowledge of the law, I had already broken the law. But Christ came. Come on, somebody. And he walked in perfect agreement. It said in the volume of the book, it is written of him. He comes to do the will of God. He said, Father, thy, my, he said, my desire is to do your will and to finish the work that you have given me and he did finish it and so Jesus kept the law he fulfilled its expectation and then on the cross think about this he was so gracious that he willfully absorbed our punishment for breaking the law man hallelujah that's why there's no man like Christ Jesus hallelujah 
And so I wrote it this way in my own personal notes. The required work of the law was satisfied by him. It was. He met it. He satisfied it in the eyes of God. But the redemptive grace is provided through him. His redemptive grace. And so it's a better covenant today that's based upon better promises. It's because I knew that I couldn't keep the law. I already broke the law. But Christ, as my representative, fulfilled the law. And now through him, through his grace, I can receive the benefit of the covenant. Hallelujah. That's a very exciting thing that we ought to rejoice in before God today. Now, the question that I know some of you have, and I'm willing to expose that question today. You would say, Pastor, if healing is a part of the atonement and it is the privilege of all believers, then why don't we see more people walking in it or receiving healing? Now, that's a great question. Everybody's pondered that in our own minds. Now, the, the reality is there's no way to answer that question without speculating. I have to just simply speculate. So I'm going to give you my personal speculation. You could take a list from among this church family, and I think it might differ all across the, you know, the, the, the body. But these are the things quickly today that I think that hinder us walking in this, this covenant at the depth that we should. Number one, our dependency upon modern medicine. Not in any way that I'm against modern medicine. I'm for it, and I trust the Lord, and we should pray. When we take medicine, we should pray and ask God. But what's happened if we often look exclusively to the medical field without even looking to God, without even standing on His Word? I think that hinders. That's just me personally. I think it hinders for us walking in this divine favor. Number two, a lack of taking care of our bodies. Well, I feel your excitement right there. On diet and exercise, and what I mean diet, I don't mean diet like weight-losing, you know, type diet, but I'm just meaning saying if it's not good, why are we eating it? If I know it's harmful and destructive, because, and the reason why I mention this is we often defeat the benefit by excessive living. We're praying one thing and going out and doing the thing that's causing the sickness in our body in the first place. I mean, you know, that's kind of madness right there. And so it does hinder the effect of the covenant in our lives. Number three, my personal speculation, I think in the modern church, even in the Pentecostal slash charismatic church today, we grieve the Holy Spirit more than generations gone by because we live looser than they did. And we grieve and we quench him and because we have to have the Holy Spirit working among us. He's the one that releases the grace in our midst. Isn't that right? And we have to pray in repentance and say, Father, forgive me and, and, and condition my life and separate me from worldliness and worldly living so I can live holy before you. Now, those are only speculations. But let me tell you, I really don't believe that's the greatest reason why the healing ministry is hindered in the church today. I'm going to tell you why I believe and where the failure in my personal belief is. I believe the greatest reason is a lack of faith to receive healing has been created by my failure and other pastors' failures to teach you the privilege of the covenant. Because if we would consistently teach you the power of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, because your faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, 
And then when you, if you would hear it and see it on a consistent basis, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that there was a dual provision in his death. Blood flowed from seven fountains on that fateful day. And on his back were 39 stripes, 39 means and ways that he took our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. And if I would consistently expose it to you, then I believe you would grasp hold of it and you would trust the Lord and you would say with ancient Israel, he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord who heals me. Hallelujah. So we need to pray that pastors would stand in front of their congregations and, and encourage others uh, in faith. And I want you to know today, your faith must have a basis. We have a better covenant that's based upon better promises. And you must put your faith in something. If you cross the river this morning, you put your faith that the bridge would sustain you. If you got in an airplane recently, you put your faith that the engine would not fail and the air would lift up over the wing and take you to flight and would land you safely. You had faith. You need a basis. So you say, Pastor, what do I put my faith in? I need to put my faith in something. Let me tell you, first of all, what not to put your faith in. Don't base your faith on the results of prayer that someone else made about their situation and the outcome. You can't judge the success, so to speak, quotations. Uh, you, you can't judge the success of someone else to, to actually have a right or an authority to petition God. I can't look and say, well, I know Grandma Susie had faith and she prayed and then she died. I can't do that. I just simply petition God based upon what I know in his word. Number two, don't base your faith upon whether or not you feel righteous whether you feel holy, whether you think you've been good enough to deserve this grace, here's the reality. None of us deserve this grace, but Christ from the cross in his love for humanity prayed the most powerful of prayers when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when he prayed that prayer, God wiped away the sin debt of Adam and all of our sin debt. And no, we don't deserve it, but God's grace flowed into our lives at that moment. Hallelujah. And so don't base it upon whether you feel good or not. You are in Christ. If you're in Christ, then you are a recipient of the privileges of the covenant. So base your faith and your, your petition entirely upon Jesus' finished work on the cross. Hallelujah, his precious finished work. So for a few moments today, before we share the communion emblems, and we will conclude in a passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of Luke, where we look at Luke's carefully chosen words to break the bread of communion. Let me just, uh, I hope, to build your faith by just reading the word with you. One of my responsibilities as a pastor is to teach. It's also to preach, and sometimes it's just to read. Because when you've got an anointing on the word, and if the man of God's got any measure of anointing upon it, then to read it audibly, publicly, can create faith in your heart and mind. So let's just read. I've got about six, no, probably about nine or ten passages of Scripture, just one or two verses, just nuggets of truth about the ministry of Jesus. It's just a sampling. It's not entirely exclusive. It's just to remind you that Jesus is a healer today. Amen. So let's begin just very quickly, Matthew 4 and 23 and 24. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner, I mean all manner, 
That means nothing is too hard for the Lord today. That means the doctors could say it's inoperable and modern medicine can say it's uncurable. But God says it's not beyond the reach of my outstretched arm. Come on, somebody. All manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And I wanted to throw this one in here today just real quickly. I just like the way it began because look what's going on in Syria today. This is what we need to pray. Let his fame. Come on, somebody. Let his fame go throughout all Syria. Come on, let the fame of a risen Savior, a living Savior, sweep over that war-torn area. It says they brought sick people, divers, multiple, many diseases, torments, possessed with devils, lunatics, and those that had the palsy. And he healed them because he is a healer. Luke 4 and 40, this just tells us the method. Here it says he laid his hands on them and he healed them. Because I don't think there's any one certain way that we receive healing. Certainly faith is at the core. But in this passage, he laid hands on them and they were healed. But look at this next passage here in Mark 6. It says that wherever he went, this time he's not laying hands on anybody, but they're laying hands. Come on, they're catching hold of him. And when they catch hold of him, they're made whole restored to the grace of God. Matthew 8 and 8 and verse 13. I wanted you to hear this one. This is with the centurion. In this moment, Jesus didn't lay hands on anybody. He didn't spit in the clay or spit in the dirt and make clay, put it on somebody's eyes. The centurion whose servant was sick said, if you'll just speak the word only. I mean, you know, there's a powerful principle in speaking the word of God. That one of the means and ways that our faith is developed is that as you speak the word in your own devotion, speak the word, 13th verse. Let's read this to add the, the finality to this. Go thy way as thou hast believed, so be it done unto me, unto thee. And his servant was healed in the very selfsame hour. Mark eleven twenty two verse through 24. This is a familiar passage, but it just teaches us the power of faith. He said, have faith in God. So when you have medicine and doctors, that's all good. I'm not against any of it, but we don't have faith in doctors and medicine. We simply have faith that they might be tools in the hands of our great and mighty God. Our faith is in God. Come on, somebody. That whatsoever, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed. I'm telling you, you sometimes need to speak to sickness in your body. You need to speak to your heart disease or to your arthritis or even cancer. See, we believe that, uh, we believe that chemotherapy can affect the cancer or radiation can affect the cancer. We believe that the poison of chemotherapy can affect it, and we believe that the radiation can, can burn it out. But what about the Word of God? What about us speaking the Word? God's Word is sharper and stronger and more powerful than chemotherapy and radiation. But let's believe it. Let's not doubt in our heart. Come on, somebody. God knows our heart. He said, so you believe in your heart, and then and you confess with your mouth, and then you're going to have whatsoever that you say. So make sure you're professing the right thing. When somebody asks you how you're doing, don't go around and, 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 and pull them down by, by casting all of your burden of, of unbelief upon them. Speak the word. Say, you know, I was going through a sickness, but God's touching me. Come on, somebody. God strengthened me. I'm, by his stripes, I was healed. I, I, the doctor diagnosed me with this thing, but I went down to the church, and they prayed for me, and I'm trusting God for healing. Speak life. Come on, somebody. Don't speak death. Don't speak doubt. Don't speak unbelief. Speak what the word says. Come on somebody speak God's word what things soever you desire when you pray believe that you receive them and you shall come on you shall have them Luke 9 Jesus sent his disciples to do what he had taught them to do he sent them out 
in Mark, or excuse me, now in John 14, he promised them and those who believe greater works. How many know Jesus did some, some unbelievable things while he was here on the earth for three and a half, or he was here for 33 and a half years, but those three and a half years of ministry. But he said, the works that I do, why? Because he's multiplied himself and his children. He's multiplied his faith in us. The, 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 the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He's multiplied his faith in us. So what I saw him do in the Word, then I can do, come on, somebody in my own life as well, greater works than these. We're getting close to wrapping up today. We'll soon bring the men down, but let's just read a couple additional passages. Mark 16 and 18, I know many of you are familiar with this. It says that we will take up serpents. It doesn't mean that we will foolishly play with serpents like the, the adder or the copperhead or the rattlesnake come on somebody if you got one in a box under your seat well you can quietly and quickly and hastily take that on out of here because we don't do that here at first assembly but we do trust for god to supernaturally protect you we trust that god if you are in a situation where the enemy is trying to poison you god's going to keep you and it's not going to hurt you and you're going to lay hands on the sick and they are going to recover now when i did a bible study on the word recover years ago i found that that word in the Hebrew means to, or in the Greek means to mend as a fisherman would mend his net. So it doesn't always mean instantaneous, but it means even sometimes progressive recovery. It doesn't matter whether it comes in one miraculous moment or progressively. I just thank God by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Let's read just a little further, Acts 4 and 30. This is a prayer that the early church prayed, and we need to pray like this. God, would you stretch forth your... You know what every community in America needs? They need a church empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit that's trusting God for signs and wonders so that we can validate the one true God's name is not Allah, it's not a Buddhist God, but the one true God is Jehovah God revealed to us in the person of His holy child, Jesus. Jesus, who is the Messiah. Hallelujah. We need signs and wonders to follow the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, or excuse me, let me back up, Acts 5 and 16. So the apostles practiced what they had saw Jesus do. They said, well, we'll just do what he did. He went throughout villages and he healed the sick and so did they. Isn't that exciting? Look at what this promised. Two more, three more quick passages and then we'll close with communion here today. I love 1 Corinthians 12 because this is the church in the setting that we're at today. And this is about gifts. God said, I love you so much. I'm going to put these in the church. Not just in apostles or prophets or evangelists or pastors or teachers. But how many of you know that if you seated here today, a, a, a simple, if I, if I could say it correctly, just a, a parishioner, a member of First Assembly. You're not in, on the staff or your name's not, you know, in our bulletin or anything like that. But if you earnestly desire spiritual gifts, God can use you, come on, in the gifts of healing. And you can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Isn't that powerful? And I love this here today in James 5, but we're going to close in a moment. My, my Actually, my personal favorite, but James 5 is familiar. Is any sick among you? I'm so thankful to be a part of church where we can still practice this. That we don't have to put it off and say, you know, well, this didn't happen or our, 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 our culture doesn't value this as much as times go. You know what? I don't care. The Bible says if there's any sick among you, then let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. See, the key is that we don't just pray over them. We pray over them in faith. 
because we'll see that in a moment. We anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on. 15th verse. Let's go further. And the prayer of faith shall do what? He shall save the sick. The prayer of faith. God help me to believe. I prayed this morning the prayer that was made by the father of the young boy that was possessed by the, the lunatic spirit. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. I said, God, I want to pray the prayer of faith. If there's, no, if there's unbelief in me, forgive me so that we can pray the prayer of faith. And notice this. Remember the dual provision of the covenant that was all the way in the Old Testament and it's also in the New Come on, the dual provision. And if you've committed sins, guess what? Come on, the prayer of faith will release you of that sin debt before God. It's the power of the prayer of faith. 16 verse. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. For that effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Lastly, before we read a prayer or read the text on communion, and I'm going to go ahead for the sake of time and let some of these elders here, Brother Ed, and some of you guys go ahead and come down, and y'all go ahead and get the emblems and then begin to take it to the back and start passing them out before us. And so just be mindful of these guys. They're going to bring you your communion emblem. But this last two verses of Scripture before we go to the Gospel of Luke is something that I think that is often not shared about enough. For this is Matthew looking at the present-day ministry of Jesus, but he is anticipating the accomplishment of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, but he's also looking back to promises that were made in the book of Isaiah. Evening was come, they brought into him many that were possessed with devils. He cast out spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick. 17th verse. That it might be fulfilled... So this had been prophesied in days gone by, by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and he carried or bare our sicknesses. That passage is quoted, excuse me, from Isaiah 53, where it speaks about that he bore our uh, our infirmities and he carried our diseases and he carried them where by his stripes Isaiah would later say by his stripes you were healed so Isaiah is looking not just to this singular moment this singular moment is the expression of what would be accomplished at the cross this singular moment when the evening was come Jesus was healing the sick but he was healing the sick as he ministered under the old covenant yes because in the book of Exodus God said that I will heal all of your diseases and so he was ministering but as he was ministering he was also anticipating the day when he would actually carry our sicknesses and carry our infirmities where and when did he bear them he bore them on the cross He bore them on the cross. Remember, there are two sides to the cross. By his stripes, you were healed. 39 stripes laid upon his back so that you and I, when we make our petition, we have a basis for our faith. Why do you base your your petition of forgiveness of sin? What do you base it on? You base it on the atoning work of his blood. You say, Lord, your blood was shed for me. Well, then when you're crying out for healing, what do you base your faith on? God, on the back of Jesus, uh, as he was going up Golgotha there, the cross was laid over his shoulder and they had lacerated him on the whipping post of Pilate 39 times with that cat of nine tails so that I sitting here in this room facing sickness and disease I could look toward heaven and say Lord if you bore my sin on the tree you also bore my sickness and so by your stripes I am healed glory to God it's the dual provision of the cross of Calvary and the reason why 
that we are not seeing the, fulfill, the, the fullness of it is we haven't taught you adequately to walk and to believe these principles, to walk in it and believe in it. And so today in closing, we're going to share communion. What a privilege it is for us because of what communion represents. It represents Jesus' death on the cross. And as often as we do it, we're to do it in remembrance of him. And before, when you get your emblem, hold it if you can for just a moment because we would like to share all of these together. But all that we do when we make that statement, fundamental truth, sounds very religious, very denominational, fundamental truth, number 12. That sounds very exciting. You're going to go home and say, our pastor preached about fundamental truth, number seven. You're trying to tell that to someone, and they're like, well, I don't know if I want to go to that church right there. That sounds very exciting. But really, we're talking about the effect of what happened on that faithful day. Isn't that exciting? That God loved us so much that he would give us life's blood, the life's blood of his son and the broken body of his son for us. I know some don't believe. I know that some don't believe this principle. There's a whole uh, theology where people do not believe that healing is a part of the New Testament covenant. But you know, their unbelief cannot make the word of God null and void. We have to base our belief. And in Luke's gospel, I want to read just six verses here. And, and we're going to break the bread, but I want, I want to notice something just real quickly. We'll read it more in its fullness in a moment, but it's one word that I wanted you to see as, as we read it here. And it's going to be, we might show it on the screen, but I want to look at it right here on the pages of my Bible. You know, Jesus longed to break this, to, to have this communion with them. He longed to break this. He had even said that with desire. He said, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. And so we understand that that Passover was of great significance because it was a reminder of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. It was a perpetual principle that the people of Israel were to teach their children and their children's children. And Jesus is ministering under that old covenant up until this moment right here. And he shares that Passover meal with them. But then he says, I will not, he said, I will not any more eat thereof until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, 17th verse. And so then he takes the cup and he divides it among, and he says, divide this among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. But I want you to notice two things real quickly as we get to the 19th and the 20th verse. And we're going to, remember, we're going to break these together and we're going to read these two verses of scripture again later. But notice his words. When he took the body and he broke it, or the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. This is my body. It's broken for you. It's given for you. And this is the cup in the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. I want you to think for just a moment that word testament versus covenant for just a moment. Now, here's what's unique about this. The, the three gospel writers that recorded the story of Jesus breaking the Passover bread when they use the word in the original language, it's the same word that, the, um, that is also translated covenant. Same word. But it is the context that allowed the translators to choose between a testament and a covenant. What word that they would use. So here in this context for just a moment of time, let me just take a moment. When I think of covenant, I think of an agreement or a compact. 
I think about a fellowship that we have. We're in covenant with one another. Dr. Brassfield's destiny is a, is a, is a covenant family of fellowship is, is what it is. And so as husbands and wives, I think about a marriage covenant, right? an agreement, a compact that we join together. But, but the word testament is more applicable to the text in this context because testament is a will. It's a will. And it depends upon the death of the testator to be valid. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews would say later, that a testament is not in effect until the one who offers it dies. And so in this moment, Jesus is showing us, he's showing us what he, he said, I'm about to die and I'm going to leave you something. Now think about this for a moment. He didn't leave any type of structure to his disciples. He didn't leave a home in Galilee, and you could just set it back down there, Brother Ed, and I'll, I'll come. And if, did y'all share it with each other? Did y'all share it? Okay, and you could take yours, and I'll, I'll get mine in just one. Thank y'all so much. He didn't leave a home in Galilee or one in Jerusalem. He didn't leave money built up in any type of account or bag because Judas had the bag, and he broke away. Even his cloak didn't go to his disciples. Soldiers cast lots for it and took his clothes. He said, here's what I'm going to give you. Here's what I'm going to leave you. I'm going to give you my body, and I'm going to give you my blood. And everything that can be affected in your life by these two things, you have the privilege. Come on, somebody. You have the privilege of applying that to your life. It's a testament today. He said, it's a new testament. That other one was good. It was good. The old covenant, the old testament, if you will. It was good. But the people couldn't keep it. But this one, he kept it. He died. He fulfilled it. And he left us. And these emblems that we're going to take here in a few moments of time, these emblems, they put us in remembrance of what he came to give us. Next week, we're going to talk exclusively about the cup. We're going to talk about the blood. It's salvation that's in the blood. But today, Joe started it. He didn't know what I was going to preach, but there's healing in the crumb. Come on, somebody. There's healing in the crumb. This crumb represents what he died, what that on his back. It was broken. His body was broken for you lacerated wounds pierced on his back by his stripes in comparison to ancient Israel you've heard me reference this many times but in comparison with ancient Israel the Passover meal must not be neglected or to remind you of it quickly now you and I are familiar with how they shed the blood of the lamb and applied it to the doorpost so that when the death angel passed through that he would see the blood and he would pass over and he would not bring death upon the children of Israel. So we know the significance of that, that our judgment, we've been delivered from the judgment of God because of the blood, the atoning blood of Jesus, right? But what about the body of the lamb? What about the body? They were instructed to eat it in its entirety. Eat it in its entirety, even with bitter herbs. For what purpose? Strength for the journey 
And the psalmist looked back. Now, the writer of Exodus doesn't record this, but the psalmist prophetically looked back by the Spirit, and he said that when they came out, when they came out of Egypt, there was not one feeble one among them. So what that means to us is, now we know there had to be feeble ones up until that time. There had to be people whose body had been, you know, affected by sickness or disease. But they were going to come out hastily, quickly. And there wasn't time to carry the infirmed. So what it seems to indicate to us, you can make your own judgment. It seems to indicate that that night when they broke the body of that lamb there in their house, the arthritic limbs suddenly straightened out. If there had been blind eyes, eyes would have popped, blind eyes would have popped open. Deaf ears would have come unstopped, not a feeble one among them. They would have come out strong and healthy, their youth renewed like the eagles. And I believe that that is a revelation of the, of the work of Jesus on the cross and the broken body, the broken body. That's what he left us. He said, this is in the New Testament, my body and in this cup is my blood. And every time you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. And so when we're going to collect. When I was going to bring the worship team, but I don't think we have to today. I think we're good right where we're at right now. It's a sacred moment. It's a special moment. Now, let me say this to you today before we share these special emblems here together. And we pray a very special closing prayer at the end. I want to say this. You do not have to be a member of First Assembly of God to share this moment with us. But the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to examine yourself. That every one of us should examine our heart and our life. If there's sin in our life, then now's the time to confess it. There's no greater place in the context of having the cup in your hand than to confess your sin before God. So let's take just a few moments, not even that, just a moment or two to make this a sacred place. And in your own way before God, will you examine yourself? Examine yourself before the Lord. going to follow the pattern that I have used so often here. We're going to break this bread together. You're going to do it from a seated position if you don't mind and then we're going to say a closing prayer but you're going to hear Pastor Brown pray corporately three times two in agreement to the text and once to culminate and bless you in dismissal. We've already brought people forward. We've laid hands on the power of faith was present you say Pastor Brown then what do I and then you reaffirm what you believe that's what you do by, this, by taking this. It was in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 that the Apostle Paul, who was not in that room that day, that Passover meal, did not share it with the disciples and Jesus, but he received of the Lord. He received of the Lord that the same night in which he was betrayed. So let me read this and then let us pray. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, 
This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We're going to pray together, and we're going to trust that as we partake of this communion emblem today, that the power of the covenant, the power of healing, the power of the grace of God will be in our heart and in our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm honored to pray corporately with my fellowship and to join my faith in agreement that when we partake of this emblem today, we're reminded of a New Testament, God, a New Testament, lacerations on your back for our healing. And God, I know that there are sick people present. I know there are people with sicknesses in their body, even in the terms of the doctors, perhaps even uncurable, God. But I know that nothing is too hard for you. And God, I know that as we partake of this, we do so in faith to ask that we might walk in healing, that we might receive in our lives strength for the journey, that God, you will renew our youth like the eagles, God. Make crippled limbs whole. Let diseases begin to die from this day forward, God. Let generational curses whereby we say, well, I was this because my grandpa was sick this way and my dad was sick. God, let them be broken today, Father, in the name of Jesus so that we will be able to say by his stripes, I was healed. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's partake of this broken body together. As you do, do it in remembrance of him. After the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped. And he said, this cup is the New Testament that's based upon better promises in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it. Will you remember him today as you drink it? As we pray, will you remember him today? Will you see his love for you? his care, his concern? Will you see his willingness to die on the cross? As you pray right now with me, will you see his willingness to fight through the agony and the travail of Gethsemane, to face the ridicule of the chief priests and the Roman soldiers, to be beaten, slapped, spit upon, and bruised, to have the cat of nine tails applied to his back, and to have a crown of thorns to pierce his brow. Will you see him there on the cross? Will you see the hammer laid to the head of the nail that pierced his hands and his feet? A Roman soldier's spear would pierce his side so that the blood of the new covenant would flow freely. Today, Father, we are so grateful. Aren't we, church family? We are so grateful that our sins, though they were as scarlet, you have made them white as wool today, God. Though our sins were as many, you have reconciled us to Christ. And we are so grateful for the power of the new covenant, the new testament that's in this cup, that's represented by this cup today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. As often as you drink it today, drink it in remembrance of him. And just slip up real quickly. Y'all, let's do one song. One song. Stand on your feet. Let's go back to that, Lord, you're my healer. <laughs> 